0: You can't manage the stock market. You can't manage what happens in the White House. You know, these things that impact our lives, right? You can't manage if you're driving on the street and somebody rear ends you. Like, what are you going to do about that? But what you can do is build the capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost.
1: Today is one of those episodes I'm going to go back and listen to at least another two to three times because today's conversation with Dr. Eric Quorum is full of not only actionable insights, things you can do immediately to help your mental state, to help yourself dealing with stress in that moment, but more than anything, it's full of some really cool information on improving our performance It's Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and welcome to this episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast, episode 668, with my new friend, Dr. Eric Corum of AIM-7. Dr. Corum is a sports scientist, as he puts it, with a passion for solving the data-to-action gap that exists today with wearable tech and in the health space. And so we're gonna talk about what their company's doing why it impacts those of you wearing Apple Watches or rings, Garmin's, Fitbits, and Whoop, and what you can do to improve not only what data you receive, but how you use it, what actions you turn into it. We talk about Eric's career working with college athletes, with NFL teams, with the US government, all in the pursuit of, pers- of getting better high performance from people and about his doctorate study on sleep and why sleep is so important, not only for our recovery, our growth, but just long-term health. What the data is now saying about our hormone levels, about Alzheimer's, about all sorts of things that happen when we get less sleep than we require. And last but not least, for those of you leaders that are dealing with stress feel like you're always under stress, don't know what to do to, quote, manage your stress. We're gonna talk about why the goal should not be managing our stress but something else. You're gonna have all of Dr. Eric's links here in the show notes and I'm gonna highly, highly encourage you to head on over to AIM7, get signed up, test what they're doing, see if it works for you, especially those of you wearing those Apple Watches, that data. Most of all, just follow the man. He's sharing a ton of full insights and cool data online as he laughed. He's got a shorter podcast, so if you love getting some data and information from guys like Andrew Huberman, but you need it in a little bit quicker format, Dr. Eric Quorum's got an awesome podcast called The Blueprint that you'll find a link to here as well. To get in touch with the show, drop me an email at podcast at I love hearing feedback on the episodes, which episodes, which topics are resonating with you, what you want to hear on an upcoming show And just to give us a little feedback here at Compete Every Day. And if you're not already in our free online community, all you got to do is head to CompetitorNation.com and get plugged in today for free. Now, let's get into the show and welcome my new friend, Dr. Eric Corum. Thank you for having me. I'm pumped to be here. Dude, looking forward to this uh, conversation, you know, we got connected and I was doing some research, uh, just listening to past interviews, which one of them was really funny, you were interviewed by ABCA, and I heard you give a shout out to Hannah Huseman, and I shot her a note and was like, hey, this is like an older episode, But just heard Dr. Eric mention you that he was getting ready to follow and you were crushing it on stage and wanted you to know. And she's like, what? Small world. So (laughs) we've got a lot of friends in common, colleagues in common. And so I'm excited about the conversation for a number of different things. But as we talked off air, you're an Aggie. You've moved all over the country. You're now back in Houston, Texas, doing some of the work you're doing. Tell me a little bit about growing up here in Texas playing sports, where you found or what you loved maybe about competition and sports that kept you around sports really and athletes your entire career? That's a wonderful
0: question. Nobody's ever asked me that before. Um you know growing up as a kid, my dad was loved baseball. Um so we we did baseball, but I was a chubby kid. I I would say I was actually pretty overweight and it was nothing that my parents did wrong. I just was an overweight kid and I got picked on a lot and uh, I was a lot like today. It would be like systemic bullying. As a matter of fact, I asked my kids about this stuff. I was like, do people do these things here in elementary school? They're like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, okay, good. Okay. <laughs> um, But I mean, it was bad and sports. I, I had some level of giftedness And sports was an outlet for me. And I just loved to compete because it was a way for me to break out of the shell that people saw me as, right? Like they saw this body, but they didn't really know who I was. And so when you're in sports, everything's level, right? It's you versus me. It's our team versus your team. Let's go. And I did martial arts. I did baseball. My parents would not let me play football until sixth grade. Uh, which I think was wise. They were very wise ahead of their time. And, um, when I played football, it was like all of a sudden everything clicked and I was able to use my aggression in a precise way. And, uh, I just got obsessed with how to become the best version of myself physically. And that led to, I had some opportunities to play small college football, like one double a level, small one, a, um, but I got a call from Texas A&M and they're like, Hey, you, will we take you as an invite walk-on? It's like, sweet. And this was like 1998. They just won the big 12 oh, championship.
1: Yeah. Randy McCowan old Jacksonville Mc- boy was there. There you go. The last time they
0: won a championship. Yeah. And so uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a realist to point that out. So I show up there. I'm a pre-med major and attached to the weight room as a physiology lab. And our strength coach, Mike Clark, who is a giant in the field, he was an amazing mentor to me and really treated me in a way that was amazing and treated everybody the same way. It was a loving, caring, compassionate, hardworking, intelligent coach. And I saw there was this science, and that's when I was like, oh. Like, I had, I had been obsessed in high school, and now the obsession went to another level. And um, when I graduated – he got me um, an internship at the university of Arkansas. And that was the golden era of sprints, Tyson gay, Wallace Spearman, Veronica Campbell Brown, et cetera. And one day coach walks in, he's like, Hey, do you want to work with the sprinter? It was Veronica Campbell Brown, eight time Olympic medalist, three time Olympic gold medalist. She's the queen in Jamaica. And I got to travel the world for 14 years with her. And um, I got to see some, was there any
1: like imposter syndrome what, how did this, I get this, like, did you go through anything of like stepping into that level of an athlete right out of the gate?
0: No, uh, because mm-hmm. you know, at that time I was at a and I mean, you're, it was big time college football, yeah. um, until you really go, I will tell you, I will say this, you really don't have a, an appreciation for Olympic athletes until you actually go to an international level event. So I went to the world championships of track in 2015 in Helsinki with her. And I didn't quite realize how huge she was. And you're at the stadium is filled with 50,000 people. This is like like an athletics as they call it overseas is huge. And there's a thrower yeah. right about to throw. And he's like clapping his hands. The whole stadium is like in synchrony. And you're just like, this is amazing. And there's nothing like training for multiple years for an event that comes down to less than 25 seconds, or in some cases, seven seconds. Like when we, she won a gold medal, won the world championships in Istanbul in the 60 meter world championship. Like you want to talk about a high. It's amazing. It's also could be very low. (laughs) if
1: You don't get it done. Years and years for that one.
0: Yeah. mm -hmm. So I, I loved it. It was awesome. And to be on the support team to help great athletes do outsized things was just
1: an amazing blessing. I, I want to pull a little bit on your journey, but I'm fascinated about something of having seen a lot of those experiences, because you've worked NFL, you've worked with Olympians, you've worked at some of the best of the best.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: There is a level at the professional level where talent kind of sets the floor for a lot of guys. And there's obviously some that have unbelievable talent, others that have less talent and and have found a way to outwork it. What do you see about the, the men and women who have the longest careers within sports? What are they doing differently? Or what do you see in some common themes of their habits or maybe mentality that set them apart?
0: So there was a mentor of mine. His name is Dr. Gershon Tenenbaum. You can't even make that name up, right? He's a Florida state. He's a pioneer in sports psychology. He ran the Wingate Institute in Tel Aviv. And he told me, Eric, everything is complex, multidimensional, and relative. So I say that because as you're saying this, there's a couple of things that come to mind. Number one is long careers. You have to have elite talent, right? Like It just is what it is. One of the things that shocked me when I went to the NFL was some of these guys physically, now these are big human beings, right? But i had been around yeah. big human beings for quite a while in the SEC, at Florida State, you know, blah, blah, blah. Some of them didn't look like I thought they would look like. But um, they were so fast between the ears, they could anticipate, that is the key word, they had created what's called mental models. So they understood very well what was happening and then they can anticipate what was going to happen next. So even as they aged and actually got on the clock slower, they were moving faster because they're as they see the the formation, people line up, somebody move. I mean, I've heard stories. About quarterbacks like, dude, the Mike linebackers yelling at me exactly what's gonna happen. That's how sick it gets. These guys are in the league for 10,
1: 12 years. Like, oh yeah. They just had, I don't know if you saw the viral video of LeBron that ESPN showed a few times of not this past game that Golden state won, maybe the one before that LA won. He's calling the play that Golden State ran against him in the finals. Years prior. And they say he's literally pointing out where everybody's going and then makes the play. It's called a mental model. Like
0: he knows in his head what's happening. So you can anticipate in your that that's what the elite, elite, elite do, especially in team or open field sports. I will also say this, there's an obsession with details. And they are, they are a master of their craft before they're a master of behave of habits. To be quite honest, we all know about Michael Jordan drinking beers, smoking cigars, and then going and playing, but he, not everybody can do that. He was a genetically gifted human being, but he also practiced in such a way that the game was less than a game, than a practice. Yeah. Now with Veronica and the elite track and field athletes where everything has to be perfect to win or to PR or break a world record her discipline and rigor of doing the details over and over and over and over again and treating her body in a very specific way. And then the, the differentiator of everything is their ability to execute under pressure. So do you know who's run more sub 10 meter sub 10 second, hundred meter dashes than
1: anybody in the history of track and field? Nope. Take a guess. Male. Oh, male. I mean, I'm I'm always gonna go back. My track and field knowledge is pretty terrible, but I always go back to Johnson.
0: Yeah, or Bolt, right? Usain
1: Bolt. Yeah, Bolt. Oh, yeah, Usain Bolt. Yeah, yeah.
0: It's a guy named Osafa Powell. Okay, he's a Jamaican. He's technically, like, from a technical standpoint, the greatest sprinter probably, maybe ever. Like, if you were to look at the biomechanics of his movement, yeah, and he would run incredibly fast until. You put the best of the best all lined up next to each other. And then he crapped the bed. Wow. Um, he couldn't do it under elite pressure. And so pressure can either facilitate or debilitate performance. And the best of the best, you you train so that, that the mindset is, I'm, I'm feeling this way. First of all, you've had to have trained for the moment. You know that you're ready. And then it's like, am I going to shift my mindset to this is, I am ready for this. This is exciting. This is going to propel me. And then you have to be very specific about the thought pattern and then go execute. Like Veronica, it was so bright in Beijing on the track when she ran, won the 200 meter goal back to back. Only a couple people in the history of track and field have ever done that. There was not a shadow on the track. Because the lights were so bright coming down at every angle, just think about that. That's insane. Man, but she would get on the line and she would execute. And she would just totally rip your heart out, and then she would. She was a. She was very regal. She would hug you when it was over. But that's the best. Do they train for it, and then un, in those pressure situations, they allow stress to facilitate them to excellence. That's a.
1: Uh, that's actually a perfect segue for one of the questions I wanted to ask you about. I heard you in an in a earlier conversation talking about this idea of managing stress versus mm-hmm. expanding capacity. And I, and I love that, especially for a lot of our listeners, professionals, they're carrying stress. They're mm-hmm. thinking, ah, oh, I got to manage this better. I got to manage my team better. I got to manage home better. And they're under this assumption that we talk about as a society of, oh, you just got to manage your stress better and more effectively. But I love how you, tend to look at it a little bit differently. I was curious if you could kind of pull at that thread a little bit for us of this idea of more expanding the capacity versus like eliminating the stress.
0: Yeah. It's, it's a fallacy to say that you can manage stress. You can't manage the stock market. You can't manage what happens in the white house you know, these things that impact our lives, right? You can't manage if you're driving on the street and somebody rear ends you like, what are you gonna do about that? But what you can do is build the capacity to adapt to more stress with less cost. So the way we like to think about it is we call it adaptive capacity. It's like a gas tank. Okay. And we all have a finite ability to adapt to stress in the moment, but you can expand this tank your adaptive capacity is basically the sum of your mental and physical fitness. So think about like this. If, um, if I had a bowl in my hands and that bowl was filled with all the stress that I could handle. And then you're like, Eric, you know, I want you to run across the room, what's going to happen to all that water in that bowl. It's around. Yeah. It's going to be a total mess. It's like when you get, you exceed your capacity. Now, if I had a bowl that was like, I could, I could put both of my arms around and then I filled it with the same amount of stress. What's going to happen. I could sprint like all the way down the street and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. So stress really isn't the enemy. It's the gateway to growth. Like if you, you, you're a physically fit guy. If you want to get fit, what do you have to do? You have to exercise. What is that? It's stress. That's right. stress. If, if you want to learn to you,
1: expand your lungs by like pushing, Like you're not going to get it just walking slow. You got to expand that capacity from a physical sense.
0: Yeah. If you want to um, learn a new skill, the only way you create plastic changes in your brain is to sit down, to feel agitated, to struggle through it. So the problem isn't stress itself. The problem is when you exceed your capacity to adapt to stress, either an acute stress, like short-term stress, or a long-term stress. We call it, I like to call it like the low-grade fever of stress. It's just constantly there. So how do you build more capacity? There are five basic pillars that we know of in the scientific literature that show that like, if you do these things to a certain threshold, um, not only do you improve longevity, but it improves your ability to adapt to stress and you're physically more resilient It's sleep, exercise, mental fitness, nutrition, and fostering healthy relationships. And there's like basic benchmarks that you need to hit, but biologically, there's some very unique things that are going on when you consistently engage in these things that allow you to adapt more so that the same amount of stress, you're just like, eh, no big deal. It's like the first time you benched hundred pounds, you were like, oh my gosh, I don't know, whatever, how old you were, like crushed you. right? And then like you train and you train and you train next thing, you
1: know, that's what you're warming up with. Yeah. But you had to build the what? Capacity. You gotta build that capacity. Yeah. So so telling someone that's stressed out to just like oh. take a deep breath and chill okay. is, is probably not the best if I've if I've learned from you recently.
0: Yeah. So that's <laughs> that's really funny. Uh, yes, you're exactly right. So here's the interesting thing. There's these systems that are turned on and off with stress. The one's called the HPA axis. Another one's called the autonomic nervous system. The autonomic nervous system has two branches, the sympathetic and the parasympathetic. The sympathetic is like your gas pedal. The parasympathetic is your brake. Um, And so when that sympathetic nervous system's on, it has nothing to do with sympathy. It's really a bundle of nerves that go from your neck to your navel. But uh, some things are dumped into the bloodstreams. These these chemicals that are called catecholamines. They increase, increase your blood pressure, your heart rate, respiration rate, it's go time, right? Well, you can manipulate the autonomic nervous system through breath. It's pretty wild because it impacts your heart and it does all these cool things with your brain. But if you find yourself stressed out, you're, you're, let's say you're about to go into a meeting, right? And stress is uncontrollable. So first of all, let me, let me say this. My friend, Dr. Alex Arbach says, stress is your brain and your body preparing you to do something effortful. If something important is about to happen and you care about it, you shouldn't expect to feel that, oh, here we go, you know. But you want to be in a position where you're under control. So, if you're feeling these thoughts, emotions, and feelings, you need to kind of calm it down. What you want to do is double your exhale to your inhale duration. So you would just maybe breathe in for four seconds, out for eight seconds. That's going to initiate a parasympathetic response. Conversely, let's say you're tired, your kids were up last night, you know, maybe two nights in a row you've been grinding for work and you have to go into a meeting, you're like, I am dragging my rear end behind me. You can do very vigorous inhales or long duration inhales. And guess yeah. what? It's going to put that gas pedal down. So if somebody's anxious and you go, take, just take a big, deep breath. What are you doing? Put just the gas. piping like them, them
1: up even more. That's right.
0: Yeah. So what you really should do is like, Hey, take a minute and I want you to breathe. So I even do it to my kids. Like, let's say they get really like anxious or they're crying or whatever. And they're like, you need to calm down. Like, all right, I want you just to breathe out. Let's do it together. About four or five cycles. And all of a sudden it's like,
1: Okay. Everything's calm now. Let's talk. You know what I'm saying? And understanding that is something that anybody listening, like that's something you can do during the day. You're on the sales calls. You got a presentation. You're walking mm-hmm. into like that's a simple exercise that you can implement, which I love. And and I'd heard you mention that, which is why I wanted you to say about talk about it here because we've talked about stress and everything else. You mentioned earlier one of the things I found fascinating. You did your doctorate on sleep, right? And Mm -hmm. the power of sleep. And, you know, for a while I felt like our culture was like, screw sleep, you got to grind 24-7. I feel like now it's moving in the direction of like we're seeing some of these long-term benefits of like get seven, eight hours of sleep, like you're a new person. I'm curious when you did your doctorate, why sleep? Like what made you choose that as the area of focus? It's a great question. Um, I was really interested in this concept
0: of adaptability because we had noticed that whether it was an elite sprinter or football player, or even somebody in special operations, that they all were incredibly resilient to mental and physical stress. And we could measure this biologically. So I'm thinking to myself, okay, what are the big levers for adaptability? And I want to study something that like is, everybody has to have. So if you don't have water you're going to die. You don't eat, yeah. you're going to die. Sleep is the same way. So I was like, okay, how I wanted to learn how does sleep impact our ability to adapt to stress. And what we found was, is there's a lot of really interesting things that happen during sleep, but sleep is like a couple things happen. One uh, sleep dramatically impacts your immune system. So when you're sleeping, you're actually there's these stress hormones that are released during the day, like cortisol, right? That's really important. You want a spike of cortisol in the morning so you're alert and focused. But if it's always on, that's going to just crush your immune system. Well, at night when you sleep, guess what? It gets turned down. Your immune system ramps up and you actually create what's called long-term immunological memory. So your body starts to create memory, especially during slow-wave sleep, of these foreign invaders that had maybe you'd been coming contact with during the day. So now I can fight them off better. Another thing that happens when you sleep is that um, hormones are released growth hormone. So growth hormone is released early in sleep, specifically during these slow wave or deep periods. Um, And growth hormone is important for the restoration of your tissues. For us guys, most of our testosterone is released during later phases of sleep or REM sleep later at night. Um, As a matter of fact, with older males, you can actually predict their testosterone levels looking at sleep and sleep fragmentation. And so, if you're not consistently getting the threshold seven hours, uh, look, how how old are you? Me, about to be 40. Okay. Welcome to the club, brother. Uh, I know. (laughs) I'm almost 43. Uh, at, after the age of 30, your testosterone declines just naturally is going to decline like about 1% per year. There's a lot of things you can do to kind of, you know, slow that down, but just sleeping less than five hours a night for one week decreases your testosterone between 10 and 15%. That means you just aged yourself almost a decade to two decades from a testosterone perspective. That is not what you want.
1: Not at all what you want it. I isn't as a, isn't it as well that the lack of sleep they've, they've started seeing it increases the chances of like Alzheimer's.
0: Oh yeah. So there's a, um, there's a direct relationship. So when you sleep at night, your brain detoxifies itself. There's a system called the glymphatic system in the brain. So your body has a lymphatic system, right? It's kind of this metabolic drainage system. Your brain, we found about 15 years ago, has this thing called the glymphatic system. And when you sleep, it's only active when you sleep, the brain flushes out a bunch of metabolic waste products, one of which is amyloid beta, which is associated with neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. Well, it's really interesting to note that Alzheimer's is dramatically increasing in the United States. It's really bad neurodegenerative diseases. What's also happening are average sleep duration is consistently going down, 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 down.
1: I was about to say, not only that, I was about to say the duration and the quality is people are on these things till late at night and then trying to go right to sleep afterwards.
0: Yeah. It's hard to get to bed because we're so emotionally stimulated. So think about this. If, if you have a system in your brain that flushes out these toxins and it's only of only operating when you sleep, if you're sleep deprived, you got metabolic junk stuck in your brain. So now that's going to lead to cognitive issues, neurocognitive decline. And so there is this kind of relationship that we're starting to see. And most of it is within our control. Now, look, I've got a couple kids. I understand life is not perfect. I am not one of these biohacking, human optimization, like, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's not real for most people. You have to have, you know what a heuristic is, like a rule of thumb. Yeah. Like I have like basic rules of thumb that I'm always trying to dose into my life. And if I have those things consistently present based off of basic biological principles, I'm going to be able to continue to thrive, knowing that there are times like this week has been rough for me. But I know that I'm resilient enough to make it through. Ten years ago, maybe not so much, even when I was younger. Um, and this is possible for everybody.
1: Yeah, it's having those non-negotiables and those little those little habits that you stick with, which is what I love. And and that actually transitions me to the next thing. Of, I want to talk a little bit about AIM-7 and, and mm. some of the work because I, I'm wearing a whoop, just got it. Uh, I tested an or ring, didn't like it as much. I have my Apple iWatch. I'm really becoming fascinated with the data, especially the last two years for me as I've traveled speaking Mm. and getting out and travel and just noticing different energy levels and Mm. trying to keep fitness consistency in where I am that I'm unaware of some days while I'm this and I feel like I slept great and some days I'm not recovered. And so I've started studying it. But like most of us that have this wearable data, we see a lot of it. We have zero idea what to do with it. Okay, I didn't I didn't recover last night or my strain was this. What do I need to do with this? Because there's not really kind of that deep dive of here's what you do off of it. And that's where y'all have created a really cool solution that I'm, I want, want you to talk about because I know a lot of our listeners are fascinated about learning more about their bodies, how they respond, how they recover. But probably like me, they're like, I've got this cool information and I can kind of guess what I need to do, but I have no real clue.
0: I appreciate you bringing this up. I want to pattern match for people like they're like, well, why are you guys good at this? Um, 12 years ago, I brought athlete wearable tracking technology to the U.S. from Australia. What is that? I was at Florida State and I went to Australia to learn about sports science, brought back these devices. This is before Fitbit. And we're strapping these devices to the pads of the players. I had to hire a NASA propulsion engineer. They're connecting to satellites. So this is crazy. So Jimbo Fisher's our head coach. I convinced him to do this. After the first week, he comes to me, he's like, Well, what are we gonna do with the data? I'm like, I don't know. And that was not a great answer for Coach Fisher. And Um, I can understand. Look, you're an executive. Somebody gives you a bunch of data and they're like, well, thanks. I appreciate it. Shredder. Right. Yeah. Fortunately, he didn't fire me and he let us track all season long in games and in practice. And for the first time ever, we quantified the game of football. We were able to then turn that data into actionable recommendations to improve performance and reduce injuries. It was actionable. That's the key. The next season, we had an 88% reduction in injury. Our team went on to win a championship, and the NFL flies in after that season. Like, what is happening here? And it opened a multi-billion-dollar market for sports wearables. Too bad I didn't have equity in these companies, right? Uh, we'd be doing this call from Tahiti, me and my man Jake. Right. So um, I got curious about the consumer space in 2019. I was like, I've been doing this wearable stuff in sports, Department of Defense. I wonder if people know how to use this data. They don't. The answer is no. Like what you just said. So. What we're doing is—is is this? We don't create hardware. We make your devices and health data actionable. We tell you exactly what you need to do each day for your mind, body, and recovery to help you look, feel, and perform better. So here's an example. You do five different types of exercise. One of the technologies we pioneered in 2015 was something called fluid modeling. What it means is this: we can give you the precise type, intensity, and duration—how hard you should go, what type of exercise based off of the things you like. And how long you should exercise today based off of your, how your body's ready to adapt to stress. So if you understand, so we talked about adaptive capacity, that tank, right? If you understand how much fuel is in the tank, then I can prescribe you the perfect dose. Our research showed that when you adjusted somebody's training each day based off of these things, they got anywhere between 150 to 500% more improvement in their fitness. And they had less injuries and they didn't burn out. So that's number one. Number two is, is like, okay, what should I do from a mental health perspective? So if let's say we notice for your stress, we will push you the precise breath work tool to do right now to help you calm down and improve performance. Let's say your mood is off. We do the same thing with sleep. But then to your point, we're looking at the long-term so we can give you daily recommendations. But you are like, all right, man, I got, I got. 25, I've got, what, you're 40? i got 45 more years to go. Like, what do I work on? So after seven days, we analyze all your data. And they're like, here's the one area you should focus on. And then we create a little plan for you. And it's in bite-sized little chunks for busy folks. I will say one more thing that I think you'll appreciate. When you were testing your aura and your whoop, have you ever had it where it's
1: like, hey, you're a 90% today. And you're like, I feel like crap. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was when actually, that was the last day I had the aura ring. That was it. Cause I knew we had, my wife and I had gone out with friends. We had drinks. we had all had a bottle of wine. I'd gone home. I didn't sleep. The dog got up three times. I was, I mean, the next morning I was like, I just, I need coffee. Like I'm not going to make it. And the <laughs> aura ring's like, you're 90% over. I'm like, I'm out. I'm out. Like <laughs> can't even do it. Can I tell you why?
0: The the, the problem is, is it's objective sterile data. Same with whoop. Okay. Here's something we found in sports science. So I'm doing all this research with these athletes. Like, I wonder if they're stressed. We'd take cortisol levels. I wonder if they're sore. We would take creatine. Anyways, we found that if you just asked them and then how they felt, and you did some very sophisticated math on the back end, that how you feel is a direct correlator to how your body's adapting to stress and how you feel is a leading indicator. The objective data is a lagging indicator. So we started building algorithms that combine the two. So what you do every morning at aim seven is we send you a text. Cause you're a busy person takes you into the app and you fill out a quick survey, 20 seconds on your mood, energy, sleep, stress. Tolerance. We found people actually really love this because it actually gives them a moment to think and then our algorithms combine and it's like, whoop, here's where you are. Here's how much gas you got in the tank. Doesn't mean you can't do something. It just means it may cost you more, but we're going to give you recommendations. We make it really simple for you. Um, another thing I'll tell you is, is that the way like sometimes these, your body, you know, like heart rate variability, everybody's like higher heart rate variability is really good. Over time, if it goes up, it's good. But if you see a spike, that's not good. Most of these devices are like, ooh, you had a 20 millisecond jump. That's great. That actually could mean your body's totally stressed out. (laughs) So it's like, like, it doesn't even know really what's happening. So what we do is we're like, okay, the data coming off these devices is great. We'll make it useful. So whether you have, right now, we're end-to-end integrated with Apple Watch. Garmin's released next next week. Two weeks later, we'll have Aura in and Fitbit. Whoop will be coming in in about a month. So if if you have one of those devices and you want to make it useful, we're a great solution.
1: I love it. I mean, and, and as somebody who wears the Apple Watch now wears kind of Whoop everywhere. <laughs> the one thing I found that was fascinating because I mean, and I didn't even realize even with Apple Watch, you know, I was getting such better readouts from Whoop on everything else that I was like, well, let me look at this. But as you, I heard you mention with someone else, it's like, you know, I'll do CrossFit style workouts in the garage. I'll do strength training. And you're like, Hey, we'll look at your data. And like, that may not actually be the best thing to like throw your heart rate all the way through the roof, doing some Mm -hmm. kind of wad with burpees and jumping. Like today, you may actually want to do some yoga mobility, lighter movements to, to do that recovery. And knowing that for those of us that are like, well, I'm just following the programming, or, oh, I'll go a little bit slower today than I should It is really insightful, especially as we age, because I'm not trying to make a professional roster. I want to <laughs> feel good, look good, and be able to go do my job and, and the things I love and, and be healthy enough to do so. And so knowing some of that information is really fascinating.
0: Yeah. And one thing we learned from working with athletes is if you tell somebody they can't do something, that's never a good idea. So if we we assess like with the things you like to do, and then we will pick out on that spectrum. Maybe it's you like to do, like you said to your point, wads in the garage. You have a rower because you like to get on there. Maybe you do the elliptical and these other things are like, okay, today is not the day to go max out your heart rate for 45 minutes because you didn't sleep well last night, you're stressed out, but you still want to exercise. So maybe hop on the rower, keep your heart rate in, uh, in this lower zone and go for 30 minutes and then high five yourself. You crushed it winning sometimes. And for all of us hard chargers out there I need to really understand this. Winning doesn't always look like crushing ourselves. Winning can look like I went on a 20 minute walk and I spent 10 minutes on my mental health and that's going to push me to the next level. Does that make sense? Because every day can't be I mean, a 10.
1: Yeah. It no, just can't. No, every day it can't be. It can't be a 10. And, and that's the one thing that, you know, we, we have to teach here when we talk about the idea of competing every day. We're like, it's looking for opportunities to get better and rest days are included in that. And so if mm. you take a day off physically, what are you doing mentally? What are you doing to work on a professional goal builder skill? What are you doing to invest in a relationship to make it better? It's not just, hey, I've got to go balls to the wall push myself max out physically to compete. It's all that whole circle of life and all those areas. And so I really like how you position and phrase that because yeah, to your point, sometimes just for me, it's hopping in the garage, Sunday morning, light row going on like a Ted Lasso episode and there just you go. Going, go, going while I've got the show going at a nice, easy pace just to to have that a little bit of that light recovery. So that, man, that's awesome. And and so where can, for those listening, where can people go learn more and then get signed up and plugged in?
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, Aim7.com. If you would put that in the show notes, Um, we have a waiting list of about 3000 people. But if you, when you sign up, uh, if you say, Hey, I heard about you on the podcast, then we will, we will put you right to the top of the list. And I will just say this, it's not available in the app store. This is a white glove experience. You will be let in with a small group of 50 to 75 people. And in the first month, you're going to get four zoom calls with me and my team. And we're going to teach you about adaptive capacity. It's only 15 bucks. This isn't like a crazy amount of money. We're trying to like deliver an amazing experience for folks to help change their lives. Um, I'm going to give you a, a promo code. I want you to hop in. So we'll give it to you for free. Also, if, um, if you like, Cutting edge science, practical information, but you don't have two hours for Angie Huberman. I've got a podcast called The Blueprint. It's 15 minutes. It's like for busy people like us that are competitors, like, hey, just tell me what to do. And like, let's not talk about the 25 research articles. Um, and we're going to have you on the show. But uh, it's called The Blueprint Podcast. And it's just we built it for busy folks that have 15 minutes on the way to work or on the way to the grocery store
1: love it. love it. Yeah. And we're going to be linking to your podcast aim seven in the show notes. Uh, I'm super excited about looking forward to checking it out and giving it a run. Eric, man, this has been a blast where online is the best place for people to connect and follow along with your work.
0: Yeah. Uh, I would say Twitter or Instagram at Eric Corum E R I K K O R E M. And I love the message of compete every day. I think it's wonderful. And I love your measured approach. I mean, this is a wonderful show. I, as I started doing research, I started getting fired up by listening to these shows I'm like, man, I should have been listening to this a long time ago. And I need to get this done in front of my team. So I'm, you know, I've been fortunate. I think we did 33 shows in the first quarter. And this is probably by far, you know, you do your research, I do mine. And I got a lot out of it. So thank you so much for putting wonderful information out there for folks that are trying to be the best version of themselves.
1: Dude, appreciate it. And you investing the time to help our listeners get better, dude. Thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. To get in touch with the team, drop us an email to podcast at com. And to find out more about our resources, content, and gear that will help you build that winning mindset so you better compete for your best life, visit CompeteEveryday.com.